0: You're listening to native speakers speaking in their own voice about things that are important to them and they're doing it through music and if you learn that way not only can you connect with people and, and be singing along with the songs at the party with everyone else when you travel or when you're hanging out with your friends but you also kind of develop like this sort of um, natural ability to sort of hear the the rhythm of the language
1: Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living, and learning languages. Hello, listeners. My name is Kirsten Cable, as always, your host here on The Fluent Show. And I'm here to talk about anything and everything interesting from the world of learning another language. (laughs) In today's podcast, I'm bringing you an interview with Tamara Marie. She is a certified language coach and Spanish speaker and Spanish teacher and teaches in a very special way. She teaches con salsa. Salsa, the dance... Salsa, the source? Salsa, the state of mind? You'll have to listen to find out. This is a fantastic interview. I really enjoyed talking to Tamara. And because she made me feel comfortable and I have long kind of dreamt of bringing you a bilingual episode with Spanish, I decided to dive in at the deep end. And I took the opportunity to ask Tamara a few questions in Spanish in this episode. You will hear her reply in Spanish and for about eight or nine minutes our conversation mostly involves in or mostly conducts itself in the medium of spanish if you are not a spanish learner as with all my bilingual episodes i encourage you to keep listening and remember that being uncomfortable not understanding is a deep part of learning another language My own Spanish is pretty rusty, so you are going to hear me struggle, you're going to hear me make a mistake, and I didn't edit out those moments in the end, because we're a show about learning, we're a show not about showing how perfect you are in your target language, we're a show about practicing despite the mistakes and despite the uncomfortableness, and I don't want to be any different to anyone else who you hear, or yourself really, when you hear yourself speaking another language, that's why we do this. Now, since the topic is salsa, let me also mention our sponsor and recommend a special video to you. You'll find in the show notes, which is the on the topic of salsa, the dance and salsa, the the, the spirit. I kind of had a look around Yabla. That's our sponsor in Spanish, in the Spanish Yabla videos and found you a relevant video. Now, if you've never tried Yabla before, I do recommend it. It's a fun platform where you could find videos on all kinds of topics from music and music documentaries as well as music videos to just vlogs like you'd see on YouTube, news articles, even really current ones. You know, if you want to hear about coronavirus, there's probably a video in your target language where you can practice listening to that. They've got kids TV shows, they've got Sitcoms—they've got it all. They really have it all, even reality TV shows, which is one of my favorite ways of learning another language. Yabla is special because the the way that they treat the video is perfect for language learners. You can find bilingual subtitles in your target language and your source language. You can switch off either subtitle whenever you want. There's a loop function that lets you watch any bit of subtitle again and again and there is also a really easy way of slowing things down. Every word is clickable on the iPad, every word is tappable, I've been watching a lot of Yabla on my iPad and it's a great way of even bringing up vocab in, you can export your vocab list, you can play vocab, study games, it's all right there. It is an all-in-one solution if you want to learn with video or even with music videos so do check it out and Yabla is a paid platform but but we've got a free trial lined up for you. So go and go and take a ride. Go and drive it for free at Yabla.com slash fluent show. That is Yabla.com Y A B L A dot com slash fluent show. Thank you so much to Yabla for supporting the show. Now let's get to the salsa. I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. Tamara was a fantastic interview partner. Thank you so much to her. You're going to hear a lot about the origins of salsa as a music style, as a way of life, how learning Spanish has helped Tamara connect to her ancestry as a black woman in the USA and given her a new perspective on their own identity that was a fascinating part of the conversation and then we got into language learning talked about what the caribbean music scene can teach you about authentic and diverse spanish and how to switch off your thinking mind as a language learner and that is gold that is a really valuable conversation and for a lot of us including me we just need to hear this many many times so get ready get comfortable grab yourself some salsa i guess (laughs) and let's go over to tamara murray buenos dias hello welcome to the fluent show
0: buenos dias gracias for having me on the show
1: oh i'm so excited to be talking to you i'm so excited to bring a little bit of salsa to the fluent show
0: uh, salsa is always necessary. What is life without music, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> very true. Very true. This was kind of my first question for you, but I want to start off on what what is salsa to you?
0: Wow, that is a very, um, you would think it would be a simple question, right? But salsa, it actually has lots of different meanings, which is one of the reasons why I really love that word. And I've really uh, described sort of my whole approach to language learning. But Basically, as most people know, salsa is a dance. Right? It's a salsa dance that you see. Uh, it looks very complicated. It looks there's a lot of spinning and a lot of turns, and people just really love like to watch people dance salsa. Like here, we think of like Dancing with the Stars, right, where people are sort of like dancing in, like this very elegant way. But there is a much more um, I would would say almost like street way of dancing salsa, which is more less ballroom and more sort of, I don't know, Afro-Cuban style, like in your body. Right. So it's like this way of dancing that really is the way that people dance uh, in, in the street. Right. People that listen to salsa music. So it's also music. It's a dance, but it's music. And uh, most people also may know, if you know any Spanish at all, salsa is sort of like, it's another word for sauce, right? It's, it's like what you dip nachos in, right? It's like that, that sauce. So it's interesting because that word salsa highlights how just one word, you know, without context can be misunderstood. And as a language learner, especially when I started learning Spanish, I realized how important it was to connect with the people and the culture to have a real context for what I was learning. You can't just learn a dictionary and learn grammar. You really have to connect with the culture. So to me, salsa really represents having that cultural awareness, being immersed in a culture when you're learning a language and not just sort of trying to become you know, a perfect speaker of the language technically but really getting to understand and know the people that speak the language and that's really what i did you know when i learned spanish i immersed myself in the culture i started dancing salsa i took salsa classes and i started listening to salsa music and that's what really helped me stay motivated to learn spanish
1: to you do you think salsa is a unique concept to to spanish or unique particular to a particular type of spanish
0: well, I would say it's really interesting. I think salsa is actually American and people might debate me on that. They go, no, salsa is from Latin America. Well, yes, but it has its roots in New York City uh, in the United States, because before that time there was uh, son song from, from Cuba. There was like Latin jazz. There were different genres of music and people would dance, but there wasn't sort of this one umbrella for Latin American music until this label called Fania back in the 70s actually started branding this Latin American music under one umbrella, and he called it salsa. So to me, it's actually a very, very American thing, (laughs) believe it or not. It's this mix of different cultures of different Latin cultures that makes up what we call salsa.
1: Oh, that makes a lot of sense to me that as as a sort of half Half-informed person on Latin American music, I wouldn't be able to put my finger on. You know, if somebody said salsa, I wouldn't be able to put my finger on where or where it might not come from.
0: Yeah, and it's actually it's a it's quite a debate, and I don't get into it because I'm not Latina, and I don't anyone uh, shooting me right. (laughs) But but the reality is, you know, some people say, oh, salsa comes from Colombia, salsa comes from Cuba, salsa comes from Puerto Rico, but the fact of the matter is, it comes from all of those places. Um, There's different rhythms, like there's guaguanco, like I mentioned before, there's son. So there's all of these different types of rhythms that if you really are in the culture, you can recognize them. But as someone outside of the culture and as a huge community developed of people in the diaspora uh, of Latin America that moved to New York City and that moved to Florida and different places in the United States, they really developed this identity of being Latino because it really only is relevant when you're not living in the country that you're from, right? So there was this need to kind of come together and you had Dominicans, you had Puerto Ricans, you had Cubans, it all kind of mixed together in New York and they and they sort of developed this thing that was like, this is our thing, you know, this is our thing, we're all Latino regardless of where we're from. So it's actually a really interesting history when you look into it um, and, it's, and it's also, like I said, it really speaks to why you need to know those things when you're learning a language so you can really understand where some of these terms come from, you don't just kind of use them like, oh yes, yeah, Alice, I know what that means. But do you really know what it means? <laughs> mm.
1: That you know, you've mentioned New York, New York City twice now, um, which which really, really interesting because we're talking about learning Spanish. So you think we'd be t- we're having like, you know, we'd go- going straight to okay, the Caribbean or Mexico or Southern America or Latin America or possibly even España, Spain, but. We're talking about New York City, and I think that's part of your cultural background. And you've mentioned you're not a Latina. So what is your cultural background? What brought you to Spanish? Or if not, what is it that attracted you so much to Spanish?
0: Well, it's an interesting question. And I get asked that a lot because so so my background, I was born in the US. I'm from the east coast of the United States. I I'm black. That's about all I know. Uh, (laughs) So I don't really have a place to point to, except I did do that Ancestry.com test where they tell you like where your ancestors are from. So the closest I've got is, I think, uh, Togo uh, in Western Africa. But I don't really know, um, quite honestly, because that's just the the part of being black in America is that you don't know where you're from. Uh, It's part of our sort of collective uh, history that we were kind of brought here and we don't really know our family tree uh, going beyond the shores of the United States. So for me, I feel connection to culture wherever I am. I mean, through traveling, I, there's so many places I've been where people say, you look like you're from here, whether it was Brazil or whether it's uh, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, there's places that I go, there are black people all over the planet. So for me, the connection that I had to the music was more of just an interest at first. It was like, "Oh, I like how that sounds. Like, I would love to learn how to dance that." Um, and really, like, I I started taking Zumba classes. That was my called my gateway drug to salsa dancing. <laughs> I was at the gym and I saw this uh, class, right? And the the lights. Yeah, the lights were turned down low, right? And there was like this like four foot 11 Latina chick on stage with like all this energy and like the music was pumping. I was like, what is this class? I have to like find out what this is, right? (laughs) So that's how I started. I went to Zumba and I got this courage like, oh yeah, I know how to dance salsa now. I've been doing Zumba, right? And then I I go out to like learn how to dance salsa and I realized I didn't know how to dance at all. (laughs) So I started (laughs) taking salsa classes. I started listening to the music. I started traveling. So it really just evolved from that. And I really wanted to understand what I was listening to. Um, And one thing, there's like one pivotal moment, I think, for me that really made me realize that I need to get more into this than just the surface level. And that was a song that's really, really popular. It's a classic salsa song. And most salseros, or people who dance salsa, uh, dance to the song all the time. And it's called Rebellion. And it's by an artist called Joe Arroyo, And he's from Colombia. Okay. It's actually from Cartagena, which was actually a really popular slave port uh, back in the day, so to speak. So I remember listening to that song and I heard in the chorus, he says, No le pega a la negra, which is like literally don't hit this black woman, don't hit my woman. And I was like, wait, what? What is he talking about? I need to look into this, right? So I got the lyrics of the song and I actually found out it's actually about a slave rebellion in Cartagena, Colombia. And I really at the time had no concept of the connection between sort of the history of black people in the United States with the history of people in South America and the Caribbean, because we just weren't taught that. And even though I had educated myself outside of school about like African history and things like that, I didn't understand the cultural connection and the connection to the music. So looking into things like that made me realize like I was really ignorant to a culture that really is about me, you know, so it, it kind of helped me make learning Spanish more than just learning the language, but really connecting with another part of my culture that I didn't know about, even though there's people that just happen to speak a different language than me.
1: That's a really powerful story. That is really fascinating as well. And to... Yeah, there's something about, and I think especially with America, I don't know, I especially with Americans, <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> in the USA, I think because the USA is such a young country, when you've got European people, we, we all kind of, we don't really do the thing where we trace our ancestry as much and say like, and I certainly wouldn't tell anybody I am french if i've got french ancestry because i feel just like i'm german and that's not just something we just don't question that kind of thing in the same way that in america you will find somebody who is like third what fifth generation swedish so they have like one swedish great-grandmother and they will say they will often say to you i am swedish or i've had a lot of american what i would class as an american u.s american say to me i'm german so there, there is in the u.s kind of culture generally i think cuz it's a young country made up of immigrants probably there's this look towards you know defining your your ancestry and i had not i had not really connected that that is a thing that is in a way really you're right it's easier for white people in the usa because there's less of a kind of wiping out and and uh, vagueness in the in the documentation of how people came right
0: Right. Well, in some cases, I know from coming through Ellis Island in New York City, which is kind of, we're back, we're talking about New York again, you're right. I I didn't expect to be talking about New York (laughs) this much. But uh, where the Statue of Liberty is, right? Coming through Ellis Island, this is where most uh, white immigrants came to the US. Mm -hmm. They actually did keep fairly decent records and they also, it was interesting, they could, uh, I believe the story is they could, you could choose your own name. So some people who had a name that sounded, either maybe it was very Jewish sounding name or Italian sounding name, because at the time in the US, it wasn't good to be an immigrant from certain places, just depending on when in our history you look, right? It's always bad to be an immigrant from somewhere at some point. <laughs> so people oh, would yeah. actually, when they asked them their names at the dock, they would they would come up with like a more Anglo sort of, quote unquote, sounding name. So they would cut off names. They would change them there. So when you look at sort of the the history, when people go back and look, they find like sort of where these changes happened. But yes, because black people were considered property there, th- we didn't have surnames, so we didn't have last names. And we, it was, so basically you were associated as property from the plantation where you, where you were. So the, actually the name that I, my last name that I had when I was born is not a name that I use because I don't associate it. It's actually British. And I know that I'm not like British. So I don't, I don't, I never really wanted to, to, to use that name. Um, so it's something like Malcolm X popularized. Like everyone goes, why did he call himself Malcolm X? Well, X means unknown, right, in math. So he was saying, I don't know where I came from and was very militant at the time. But to me, it just it's just common sense, right? So we were given first names and black people weren't allowed to get married. So there's all these things, right, that that kind of did not only wipe out our identity in terms of who we were, but but didn't allow us to sort of establish new identity here because we were legally kept from, you know, establishing citizenship and establishing, you know, even a first and last name because we just were property. So no, that we don't have records. No one said, "Oh, I picked up the slave from from Angola, right?" <laughs> and and here's his granddaughter. They no, they, it's so we really have absolutely no idea. And uh, there's actually a fascinating, um, a series about this. I think it's Henry Louis Gates Jr. He's a professor at Harvard in Massachusetts, and he's done like a whole series where he takes celebrities, a uh, white black and whatever and he he traces back their lineage for them and he they do all this research and they give them these books and they reveal like oh your great grandfather was a slave owner or oh your great grandmother was was in the holocaust like they they do all of these like really really interesting reveals because yeah here it it we have such a disconnection to our past um so called from the eastern part of the of the world so we are a pretty young country and there is this need to sort of connect and i think that's why even like in Latino culture, like I said, it developed out of this idea that We're all here in the U.S., but we all have roots other places. But so we're not one hundred percent from there. We're not one hundred percent from here. We're this hybrid, right? We're something in between. So it really is a new identity that we've had to forge for ourselves here in the U.S. as Black people, Latino people, White people too, because we just we're something else than what we came from. But we still find a need to connect with that to to kind of figure out who we are now and where we're going. So it's really Mm -hmm. it really is unique and interesting, I think.
1: And you mentioned identity and that's that's really what pulls it back into language again isn't it where language is identity and you said before about the 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 the, the, the identity of salsa almost or this this feeling of salsa this kind of general feel of the spanish that we that the, the, the really caribbean spanish god i feel like i sound so academic trying to put this even into words Um, so (laughs) this is the driest summary ever but this this kind of whole feeling this new thing the way that the um puerto rican and dominican and cuban and whatever haitian you know cultures from the caribbean kind of melted together and brought their spanish together and created the salsa it it puts it into such a good context and makes it so clear what's how how you how you fit into that and how that fits into you and how it really then becomes part of your identity to pick that up
0: yeah exactly and i think too you know it's interesting because a lot of the music now um that's that's really worldwide right a lot of uh, american culture has been exported throughout the world that includes, you know, Latin American culture, black American culture. Um, I remember the first time I heard like a hip hop group in Japan, right? Like rapping. I was like, what? Like, what? <laughs> like what's going on? That was our thing, right? So it's really interesting how the U.S. is great at exporting its culture. And I think with Latin American culture in particular, a lot of it does come from the Caribbean and people tend to not um, associate Spanish with the Caribbean as much. I think people think more of like Jamaica or Trinidad or something like that. But there actually is the largest uh, population of Spanish speakers, or I, I should say the majority of of, um, of people in the Caribbean as a whole, when you take all the islands, are Spanish speakers because you've got Puerto Rico, you've got Dominican Republic, you've got Cuba, and that it is actually really prevalent in the Caribbean. So it's really interesting how we don't really think of that as Latino culture. and And there is something to be said for, you know, yes, it's really different to be from the Caribbean than from South America, but... From a cultural perspective, when you sort of like everything sort of mixed together and sort of exported as this sort of package of, you know, salsa music, we have also now bachata, reggaeton, there's all of these different genres of music, and they're popular throughout the world. So the Spanish that we're taught in school, for example, is either from Spain or from Mexico. Right, and even not just in formal mm-hmm. education, and a lot of uh, language courses. A lot, and even in the media, there's a lot of Mexicans, often lighter-skinned people as well, or in like the telenovelas. So what you see, sort of put forward, is this idea that there's this very European or very white sort of Spanish. But the but the reality is the way the language is spoken is not that way. There's the the culture that that uh, gave birth to salsa also sort of exported this different type of language so it comes down to things like uh like one one just kind of quick example of like the accent if i was to say i'm tired right in spanish i would say estoy cansada however if i'm from the caribbean i would say estoy cansada like, like the d kind of disappears so it's sort of like uh, just a, wow. a feature of that accent. So if you're listening to music that's from those places and you hear these sort of differences and you go, but well, that's not, I don't hear vosotros. And, you know, no one told me like <laughs> that words get cut off this way. I, like you, you just don't have an awareness of that. So you get really uh, demotivated. At least I know I did speaking for myself, like, Hey, I've been studying Spanish, but I can't understand the song. I can't understand people in my neighborhood because they're from Puerto Rico. They're from Dominican Republic. They don't speak like, what people tell you about in in academia, right? That the Spanish language is, but the young people are listening to the music, right? I had an exchange student from Spain and she knew Romeo Santos, which is a bachata artist from New York City who has Puerto Rican and Dominican parents, right? But she knows his music. They don't dance to it there, (laughs) but they know the music. So they're being exposed, like the world is being exposed to this way of speaking Spanish that is sort of frowned upon by academic sort of standards of language, which I think is kind of a shame because it's not... It's not that it's an incorrect way to speak. I think that it's just a different way of speaking Spanish. And a lot of the words that are in the Spanish language from Latin America actually come from the indigenous cultures in the Americas, which is why there are so many differences, like even with English right English in in the United States and English in the UK are very different there's a lot of things I don't understand <laughs> if I was to go to London right I you know I, I there's words that I I don't know right so here it's the same thing so the Spanish language in Latin America and the Caribbean specifically have a lot of words that are that are coming from the indigenous people in those areas and they've all sort of mixed together with what we call Spanish here. So it is very different and if you don't know and understand that, it's really really difficult to understand the language because it's not the way it's taught in school. Mm.
1: It's you you're almost you're kind of stealing my thunder for one of my two questions that I'm able to ask you in Spanish. So I want to know more about this and <laughs> okay. I'm going to ask you in Spanish and see how much I can keep up with your reply. Uh, ¿Cuáles son las cosas que distinguen en el, el español en el Caribe al español en otros lugares?
0: Hay muchas cosas, la verdad. Pero eh, uno es el acento que mencioné antes uh-huh. y otra es algunas palabras como la palabra maracuyá que en inglés es passion fruit, (ríe) la primera vez que yo probé maracuyá fue en Puerto Rico. Y en Puerto Rico se llama parcha. (ríe) Pero yo no sabía. Yo no sabía que tiene varias palabras para describir una sola cosa, como una fruta. Entonces, eso es una cosa. Cada isla tiene su propia sus propias palabras para describir las cosas que vienen de esas, esas islas. Eso es una cosa. Otra cosa es el acento. Como se cortan o se comen, a veces dicen, se comen la letra D cuando está entre de dos vocales. Como cansada, cansá. Cansado, cansao Cosas así. Y, También creo que es la manera de ellos hablan porque hablan muy, muy rápido. Porque se cortan las palabras y hablan muy rápido. Y para mí es difícil. Estoy tratando de hablar lentamente ahora porque yo naturalmente yo yo hablo muy rápido en inglés también. Y sí, entonces, porque ellos hablan muy rápido y también se cortan las palabras... Es difícil entenderlos a veces porque hablan tan rápido y con, con palabras distintas y también con palabra, palabras cortas. Entonces, esas son las diferencias eh, más comunes del Cari- español del Caribe y de otros países.
1: Ah, sí, claro. Uh, ¿Qué son los uh, muy grandes problemas uh, que, que tú como yo, como yo puedo decir que tu eh, noticia noticias ¿Notaste? Not, okay, ya, yeah, no qué tú notas eh, cuando <risa> la gente la gente Empieza. I've gone off script, and I'm trying to speak Spanish without a script. This is what's happening here, listeners. So let's try again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Cuáles son las
1: uh, muy grandes los problemas muy grandes uh, que tú notas cuando la gente empieza a um, empieza a hablar el español como idioma nueva. en y, y en particularmente uh, el español del Caribe.
0: Um... Creo que es las cosas que he mencionado, como la velocidad que ellos hablan, es muy rápido. Entonces, es muy difícil. Ah, y también se corta la S. Sí, sí. Recuerdo eso porque yo, yo, yo lo hago a veces cuando yo hablo, ¿sí? Porque yo dice uh, digo algo como uh, E eh, en vez de S, porque es un... Es un hábito, es un hábito que tengo de, de, de español del español de Caribe, ¿no? Entonces, sí, se cortan la S también. Entonces, cosas así son muy difíciles porque para mí, la primera vez que yo fui a República Dominicana, <risos> yo fui eh, con con un amigo y estábamos en el aeropuerto y su primo me me ayudaba como, ¡Ay, Tamara, qué es lo que! Y yo estaba, ¿qué? ¿Qué es lo que? That which is what qué no no entiendo no pero eso es una manera de decir cómo estás qué andas cosas así entonces qué es
1: lo que cosas
0: cosas sí qué es lo que algo muy dominicano
1: oh, perdón me gusta, es algo me gusta
0: mucho. <ríe> es algo muy dominicano entonces eh, cosas así también en en Cuba se dicen hacer como como decir algo como amigo, o no sé, ese tipo, es como ah, Sere, Sere, ¿cómo está? O qué bola, en vez de decir (risa) qué tal. Entonces, cada cada isla tiene su propia manera de hablar, su propio acento, y eso creo que es un problema por algunos estudiantes, porque están escuchando un curso que dice, hola, ¿cómo está usted? Yo estoy uh-huh. bien, gracias. ¿Y usted? Sí. Y n- nadie, nadie habla así, especialmente en el Caribe. Entonces es muy difícil convertirse en eh, la manera de escuchamos en los cursos a hablar con una persona del Caribe porque ellos hablan de una manera totalmente diferente. Entonces esos son los problemas y por eso es es por eso yo Yo tuve que crear mi propio curso de Español del Caribe porque porque cuando yo fui al Caribe eh, me anoté que ay yo no puedo entender, no hay recursos para aprender Español del Caribe, entonces yo tengo que crear mi, mis propios recursos porque yo tengo que... Mira, me gusta viajar, ¿no? Me gusta viajar a cualquier país y especialmente al Caribe porque tienen salsa, tienen las playas bonitas, tienen todo lo que quiero, te- también tiene comida muy buena. Entonces, para mí, viajar al Caribe es algo que yo voy a hacer toda mi vida si puedo. <ríe> Entonces, para mí fue muy importante entender la gente del Caribe porque ellos tienen la música, ellos tienen las islas, ellos mm-hmm. tienen de todo. Entonces, para mí fue importante crear una manera de de que las personas que quieren aprender la cultura, el idioma del Caribe, puedan hacerlo de una manera fácil. Mm. Eh, Porque es muy difícil entender cuando alguien habla de de un país que no, que es muy distinto, ¿no? Que no, Ah, si no estás acostumbrada, ¿sí?
1: Ah, ¿tienes ¿tienes un lugar preferido en el el mundo donde se habla en español?
0: Ah, wow, eso es difícil, no sé, no sé. (risa) Para mí, para mí, no sé, porque he viajado mucho y me gustan muchos países, pero la verdad es que dicen que Colombia tiene el mejor acento de español, ¿no? Porque la manera de ellos hablan en Colombia, y y también Colombia tiene una costa caribe, ¿no? Mucha gente no sabe, pero Colombia en en el norte tiene una costa que es parte del Caribe. Entonces, Cartagena es una ciudad en Colombia, pero es una ciudad caribeña. Eh, Entonces... Pero eh, creo que en Bogotá, en el interior, hablan diferente. En Medellín hablan diferente. Pero normalmente eh, la gente dice que en Colombia tiene el mejor centro. Y también Colombia tiene el Caribe, también tiene el interior, tiene las montañas, tiene las playas. Entonces yo creo que Colombia, pero no sé si es seguro, pero pero me gusta el centro de Colombia también.
1: Vale, vale. Uh, Vamos a a volver a uh, safer ground for me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Al inglés, al inglés. Al
1: inglés, al inglés. Oh, al alemán. (laughs) No, vamos a a volver (laughs) al al inglés. So I can tell that uh, te te gusta mucho um, Cartagena, in particular. And it's it's not a place I've ever paid any attention to. So I'm really curious about it now. Uh, what about, do you feel any connection to European Spanish?
0: que <sighs> no. Really, I could say no. Um, uh-huh. It's interesting because I've only been to Europe once. And it, and it was actually to go to Berlin. Uh, so that's, I've only been to Germany, believe it or not. <laughs> so um, I haven't spent a lot of time in Europe. We are I know- much
1: prettier than Berlin, really.
0: I've had people tell me that I have to go to Spain Um, it is on my list but I do I can I can clearly hear the difference in accents, which is something that, you know, as a beginner and even lower intermediate learner, I could not hear. But now when someone opens their mouth and they're from Spain, I can tell like immediately. If someone's from Argentina, I can tell immediately. So, um, yeah, I just I just have this connection with the music and the culture of the Caribbean. And it's also the way that I speak. So even when I was in Colombia, they told me that my accent was like a mix of like Dominican, Cuban and Puerto Rican Spanish. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. But I wasn't trying to do that. I don't even know how that happened but um yeah it just that's just kind of where my my connection is for so many reasons that no i don't really uh i don't really get down with like the 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 european spanish but i understand it i mean i kind of get it it's still spoken pretty fast i think people will say that spaniards speak fast as well um and people speak fast in the caribbean as well but it's just sort of a different Way of speaking, um, I will say this, and I don't know if you knew this, Kirsten, but the connection between Spain and in the Caribbean, obviously, the history of the Spaniards, sort of, so called discovering the Americas, right? But <laughs> yes. um, beyond that, like the region in southern Spain, Andalusia, is the most similar to the accent of the Caribbean because it said that's where a lot of the uh, we'll call them explorers came from. So some of the the characteristics of Caribbean Spanish you'll also find in Andalusia. Uh, so I actually had a friend from Puerto Rico, and he said that he he was in the military. He said he traveled throughout Spain, and he said he didn't understand what anyone was saying until he got to Andalusia. He goes, "Ah, now you understand me." <laughs> so there are definitely some similarities linguistically from uh, sort of the history of of travel from Spain uh, to to the Caribbean.
1: It's it's amazing what how much like how many linguistic traces we have. Let's call it exported. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, we're, like, I'm, cause I'm thinking about Australia, right? When you say that and how Australia has got the Australian accent has got certain traces of sort of British from the time. And, but there is a lot of like, it's, it was used as a prison colony, so it wasn't exactly clean cut upper class English that made it down there. It was a different kind of English. And there's obviously lots of local influences and that also developed. So we think, you know, like the, I don't know that the connections between us around the world are so, are so close and so present, um, which I don't know, it's for sad reasons, but maybe it's a, maybe it's nice to feel connected.
0: I think there is a, a beautiful thing to it, because like I said, as I've traveled, I think one of the things that learning language has taught me and traveling um with that, you know, because I think you get one experience when you travel, you get one experience when you learn language, but when you do sort of both of them together, you get a different sort of awareness and appreciation for the connection that we have. One, that a lot of these differences don't really matter at the end of the day, right? Um, that you'll always find a way to communicate. But also that you can sort of trace this commonality. I know for me, one of the most beautiful experiences I had when traveling was when I went to Cartagena and I just went there um, in in January. So before the world uh, changed uh, <laughs> and I, it wasn't a planned trip. Um, it was a crazy travel story, which I'll save for my podcast later, because I've been meaning to tell the story about how I ended up in Cartagena in the first place. But it, it actually was funny. It was actually from that Joe Arroyo song, because in the beginning of it, he says, Las calles de Cartagena. And I, and I just remember hearing that from the song. And I was sort of in Central America, not knowing where to go. And I said, I know, I'll go to Cartagena. Joe Arroyo said, go to Cartagena, so I'll go there. It was literally the music that led me there. And I, I go there, and they have a, a plaza named after him and a statue. I took a picture with it. Um, but when I was there, the, the people there, they have this town called Palenque. And it's actually, it actually was the first free city established for free black people in the Americas. And um, I learned about it when I was there and I and I was invited to go there by a woman I met on the street. Um, And when I went, this town looks just like Africa. And the woman uh, introduced me to like her family. And then I met uh, some different people there and they greeted me and said that we're family. They're like, todos somos de Africa. We're all from Africa. And they have their own language there, too, which is a whole other linguistic story for another time. But they, they greeted me as family, and they said they recognized, oh, yo soy de Estados Unidos, I'm from the U.S. They're like, no, 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 todos somos familia. And you could really feel that connection they felt there is that they were preserving something of African culture in the Americas, and they were connecting it to me, even though I was from the U.S., that they said that we're all family. And I just thought that was a beautiful way to look at things because you could easily focus on the bad things, right? You could say, oh, my gosh, but you guys got here because you know the founder of the city was escaping slavery, Uh, in all of these types of things, but but they're focused on this is our space. We preserved our culture and we still feel connected to you because we recognize that we have the same root. So I think that's one of the beautiful things about it that you really don't appreciate until you have those experiences. And had I not spoken Spanish, I wouldn't have been able to have that conversation with this man who was blacker than any man I've ever seen in my life (laughs) in the middle of Colombia. So it was a beautiful thing. And I think that that's what that language allows us to do, we can connect not only with cultures of different people, but also find something about ourselves that we didn't know through travel and through learning language.
1: Mm-hmm. And travel, yeah, travel. And I can see dance there as well, which is this kind of, you know, dance is a language without words. You know, it's it's a way of communicating. Yes, yes. It's a way of communicating. And it's a way of communicating our feelings, which is what we find so difficult with our words so many times, and which is what we find particularly difficult When we're learning another language where it's almost impossible to express even close to what it is that you want to phrase in your head and you just can't do justice to how you're feeling. And I can, you know, so to teach the language through music in the way that you encourage people to learn with music, to teach the language through, even through dance is, is a has so much potential it's so so powerful and i wondered how do you integrate that into your your lessons
0: well it's really interesting that so you mentioned that right so i think one of the biggest struggles that we have as language learners is that we're, we're so technical and and so like oh we want to get the words right we want to get the diction right we want to get the grammar right we want to sound native so to speak But we but we miss out on the emotion like you talked about. Right. And I think learning through music allows you to sort of put yourself in the shoes of someone else and really begin to feel what they feel. Uh, And also for you, I mean, I know, um, at least for me, like when I'm having a bad day or I'm going through something like music is like the the most uh, uplifting thing that you can do. So I always tell people like, you know, if you're if you're like, oh, I'm trying to learn this language and I'm having a hard time and I'm struggling. You know, if you listen to a song, I mean, even if you don't understand all the words at first, you know, it'll uplift you and it'll take sort of the heaviness away from studying and trying to be perfect. And it'll just allow you to be with the language and with the music and with your own emotions. And once you get to that state, as you know, you can't learn anything if you're in a stressed out state um, so music just kind of relaxes you and it allows you to get into that flow where you can actually begin to absorb um, what you're learning and retain it in the first place. Um, so one of the ways that I use music is one is helping people realize that you have that connection to yourself, to the emotions, to the culture as you're learning the language. And what I do sort of more technically is I, I take out um from the lyrics of the songs, and I use real latin music i don 't these are these aren 't like songs that i 'm you know make up for like language learning because I know there's some things like oh like let 's learn the alphabet in uh you know spanish right um it 's not it 's not like that I actually use real music, and uh what I do is I take lessons from it, so if there 's a phrase that you can actually use in conversation. We'll sort of like piece that out. And then we'll talk about, okay, here are some ways that you can begin to use it. So one example of a song that I use that I really like, cause it's an uplifting song, uh, it's called Vivir Mi Vida by Mark Anthony. And it's, uh, to live your life. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the chorus, he says, voy a vivir, voy a reír, Voy a bailar, so I'm going to laugh, I'm going to dance, I'm going to live, right? He just, he says it over and over again, and it's the chorus of the song, so you hear it repeatedly, and if you're singing along, you go, oh. I just learned the simple future, but you weren't trying to learn the simple future. You were just singing along with Mark Anthony. But now I can say, Ah, voy al supermercado, right? I'm going to the store, Uh, or voy a comer. I'm going to eat. So you can I I take those lessons out of the song lyrics and say, Hey, like you're learning this in the song. You already know how to pronounce it because you've been singing along with it. So now let's just try to use that in your daily conversation. So that's what I do through my lessons. Is I, I break down the song lyrics, explain some of the cultural aspects as well, because. Mark Anthony, like, throughout the song, he also says, like, wepa, right, which is a very Puerto Rican thing to say. Mm -hmm. So, like, I explain that stuff, and I say, hey, he says this because he's from Puerto Rico. This is the only place you're going to hear it. This is what it means. So use it at your just you know at your uh, your discretion, right? <laughs> but if you go to Colombia, maybe no one knows what you're talking about. So just I, I explain those things because I think they're very important to understand. You know, language isn't this generic thing you could just pick up and take anywhere. You sort of have to understand those nuances to really have an appreciation for the culture and the language. So that's what I do, and I do it through courses. I do self study. I also do live classes. I have a membership, so I, I offer it in different ways for people to. To get them wherever they are and what how they prefer to learn. But that's the basic way that I use the music uh, through learning.
1: You've mentioned something earlier that people say, which is, I want to sound native. And for me, that was such a strong indication and such a I hear that so much. And I, I get it so much also from learners of any language. And who doesn't want it? Like we all want to sound like a native. Of course you do. And but it's such an, it's such a I guess a giveaway of the thinking mind and what the, how the thinking mind is getting involved in language learning. Because if you, if you've got that kind of thing in your mind, you are holding yourself to a standard, my friend, that you're possibly never going to reach. So you're forever, you're forever comparing you're forever measurings. And I find that really, really dangerous. I love how you explained that. Look, just listen to some music. Listen to a song, see what makes you dance, see what makes your body move, see what makes you sing along. You you give people a way to switch the thinking mind off, no?
0: <laughs> exactly. And the irony is, Kirsten, I'll tell you this because it happened to me and this is how I really got started with with, with teaching other people because before it was just something I did on my own. And um, when I would be out dancing, I, I often now I'm not a singer. I can't sing. So no, don't be under in, in the illusions that I'm, you know, somehow gifted musically. <laughs> but uh, because I was like learning the songs and I, would knew, I knew the lyrics, like when I dance, I naturally kind of sing because I'm in a good mood. Right. I'm like, hey, I'm dancing. And um, through that, like a lot of people I would dance with thought that I was a native Spanish speaker. And I said, okay, well, that's just kind of a fluke because I've been dancing and, you know, whatever. They, they quickly found out they, that I wasn't when they spoke to me because I would tell them, yeah, I'm from, I'm from here. But, um, it's interesting too, though, that one time I was in, I was doing a language exchange and I was in this cafe and the cafe was about to close. So I was like, you know, I was on Skype called and I was like, all right, let me close up my computer and everything. And the guy that was closing down the cafe, he started asking me, he's like, oh, so you're, where are you from? You know, I'm from the United States. He goes, No, seriously, no, where are you really from? I'm from the U.S. He starts laughing. He's like, I thought that that was your native language because I was on the Skype call. I was speaking Spanish, so he heard me speaking Spanish. He thought I was a native speaker. And again, I thought, oh, this is a fluke, right? So I never gave myself credit for it. But what I realized, because I was learning in such a relaxed state and I was just singing along with the music, I naturally picked up the accent. So it wasn't something I tried to do. I didn't strive to sound like I'm from Puerto Rico, but when sometimes when people talk to me, that's where they think I'm from. So I think that the, the irony is that when you let go of that sort of grasping and striving for perfection, that you actually kind of relax yourself into it. You kind of lean into it when you're in a flow state and music is the perfect thing to get you into that state. So lots of people learning through music, you, you naturally pick up the accent and you don't have to really worry about it too much because it comes from just imitating the sounds you hear in the music.
1: Mm-hmm. So true. So true. And such a, such a powerful, such a good example as well. I've I've often felt this as well that you, I I want to say to people, you know, if you, the more you relax into it, the more you, you chill, the, the stronger everything else will become. It's a bit like, I'm, I'm trying at the moment to learn how to roller skate. And one of the, (laughs) yeah, I know (laughs) one of the things that, that they tell you is very much like, don't look down don't look down because you're on the roller skates you're feeling really unsteady so you're part of part of you just wants to look down just to make sure i don't know what what i'm even trying to achieve but you know like you want to look down to make sure like your feet are still there or whatever but you're not going to move <laughs> the right way if you look down you're essentially you're ruining. Walking for your like you, you you're you're just confusing your feet or I don't even know what happens. So so the the more you look ahead and you put your arms out and you do all the things that feel kind of counterintuitive at the start because you're so desperately trying to control it. The more you let go and just give your body trust your body's strength and just look ahead of you. That's. That's when your—that's when all of your natural balance kicks in, and it felt—it f- feels to me like what you're saying about learning. It just reminds me of that. It's just this sort of, don't look down way of learning a language.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the less that you're preoccupied with those things, the better your performance is, even though you're not thinking about it. So, so yeah, I think it's definitely, definitely the case.
1: Mm, so we we get to we get to have a play. We get to have a. We get to have some fun and we get to, so this isn't really about like everybody has to listen to salsa now. It is about finding the type of sounds, finding the type of music, finding the kind of culture that appeals to you. And something that I think you say in the intro of your podcast is learning a language culture first.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think um, the interesting thing you say, and everybody has listened to salsa now, but yes, you should find the music that you connect with. But one of the interesting things about the salsa community is that there is a global community of people who dance to Latin music. Salsa, bachata, which is another genre of music that comes from Dominican Republic, um, is very, very popular now. Reggaeton is from Puerto Rico. So like there's all of these genres of music. But for salsa in particular, there is an international community of people who dance salsa that are not... Latino that are not Spanish speakers and they're dancing to this music. And I go, do you understand even what you're dancing to? How do you how can you embody this music through dance if you don't understand where the people come from, if you don't know anything about the culture? So I think there is a real disconnect when you have in sort of like you're dancing that line between you know, cultural appropriation and sort of like, what, (laughs) what is it that you're, you're really connected to? Is this just something you're trying to do for show to kind of show off? Like, oh, kind of like this idea of like, oh, I'm a polyglot. I speak 400 languages or, you know, oh, I'm a dancer, but I don't know anything about the culture. So I think it's, it's this thing of like really authentically getting to know uh, the people and the culture through, through the music, through dance, through, through, through travel, through whatever it is that gives you a true connection to it. Because once you do that, it's no longer a foreign language. It's something that's part of you. Mm -hmm. So even if you're not technically savvy, right? Like for me, like I mentioned the song, that's a song that like helps me. Like when I was going through a tough time, like that song is a part of my DNA. Like you can't take that away from me. It's not, I'm not trying, I'm not striving to become a thing. This is just part of my life now. So I think that's what you're striving for with any language is to find a way to make it a part of you. And that's how it becomes no longer a foreign language. And that's how it really becomes part of who you are.
1: Yeah, it's about it's it's like living it versus performing it.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: Yes, absolutely. I so agree with you and I feel like that about when I think about like the language I have struggled with all year. <laughs> not because it's so hard or it's so easy, you know, it's for me it's not about like whether I don't I don't worry about that so much, but the language where I continue been, say, been saying I just can't I'm enjoying it, and I'm enjoying it on a theoretical level. And I'm enjoying testing myself and my mental like ability to learn this these bits, but I'm lacking the connection it's It's been Mandarin Chinese, which I can now sort of put sentences together, and my teacher's very excited, and it's all very nice but that's that's kind of it for me. It's like it's all very nice, and I don't have the drive to tell anybody like I'm not learning it even to brag about it i'm just kind of i wanted to try and see and it's been something i've really been grappling with like what is it that made me fall in love with welsh but not fall in love with with mandarin chinese and it's it's like you say it's the the living it the connection to it and that is what makes you I think that is what makes you really good at a language. That is what makes all the difference. And for some people, it has to be I'm moving there and and nothing nothing else will do. But I think it doesn't have to be that. You can connect with a particular culture through many, many means. And music is one of the most powerful ways I can think of to do that. Even, it even reminds me, you know, when, when I was little and I was, I was a German kid, we had so much English around us. Most other, you know, definitely most European countries, we've got so much American culture. We've got so much English, you know, everywhere around us. It's like you say with the Japanese hip hop, we totally have German hip hop. It's, it's something that, that came over to us so that by the time we learn English, it's not about like saying I can learn English. It's about like wanting a piece of that stuff that's always been around us, almost.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting too because for English, I think a lot of people learn it because they feel like they have to, right? For either to get a job or for business reasons. Mm-hmm. And I know when I was uh, volunteering at this program teaching English, I remember the first time I came across someone who said that they really liked American music. And I was confused because for me, I just, I was like, what were you talking about? They're like, no, I really wanna learn English. They were really passionate, but you could tell the difference between them and the people who were learning it because they wanted to get a better job, right? They were so much better because they really enjoyed um, whatever the American music was that it wasn't a genre I like. So I don't remember what it was. <laughs> so, but um, but yeah, but because she had connected with it that way, um, that really helped helped it stick. So I think, yeah, motivation is interesting. And I think if you don't find that connection, it's going to be really hard. I know for me with Portuguese, it was um, I, I followed a similar uh, track, but for me, it was samba. So I really like samba. It's a challenge. Uh, but I'm like, I can dance salsa, I can espachata, I can figure out samba. Haven't done it yet. <laughs> but I have been taking samba classes online. Um, and that also helps me connect with some music. So I've learned about some new songs that I really like and some different musicians. So that's been helping me um, reconnect with my motivation for Portuguese. Because after I left Brazil, I kind of was like, oh, I don't really need it right now. Um, but but it's kind of helped me reconnect to kind of find that thing that I could uh, help push myself for with my Portuguese. So. So yeah, I think it's important that everyone finds what it is for them.
1: Mm-hmm. And and that's why you can't, you know, like we can't formulaize, formulaize um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> this culture first thing. We can only say like, wait until you've really you get the butterflies, right? And you you're starting to feel it. And and for me, like Welsh, for example, they, they, there's a music scene. that so I really like indie music. And, um, there's a, there's a strong music scene there. So I very quickly found music that made me feel like, yeah, I can go to a festival and watch this. I can go and see gigs, you know, by these bands and I'm going to have a great time. And it, it connected me so, so much now in your, in your podcast, it, um, see, I'm I'm paid a lot of attention to your podcast intro. Cause I thought it was a really good mission statement. Another thing that I heard was shut down the language apps and I thought, oh, why, why is then can an app ever have salsa? But I'm beginning to get a sense of why an app doesn't have to salsa.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So one of the things I say, I say, shut down the the apps and close the grammar textbooks, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think that as learners, you know, like I said, we we approach things like very academically. And and yes, you should be proficient in your language. I'm not suggesting that you just make mistakes for no reason and you never actually try to learn from a book. But I think that what what gets people stuck is that they spend all this time with their noses in books and they're on these apps, but You know, I have people who have told me, like I've had clients, oh, yes, I've been learning Spanish for two years now. And I say, ah, hola, como estas? And they're like, uh, 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 hi. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, you should be able to answer that. I mean, you know, so I think that part of what happens is that we get so caught up in learning that we don't actually get into doing and being with the language. So we spend a lot of time like, oh, yes, I got a, a trophy today in Duolingo or, you know, I was on drops and I learned like four new characters, which is great. You need that foundation. But I think at a certain point, you need to sort of step away from some of that stuff and actually just try to use what you know even if you just know like five words, right? Use those words. I always tell people just start speaking um, when you can and talk to real people because otherwise you're never going to get over your fear of speaking. And I think that a lot of people get caught up in that learning mode and they don't actually start using the language. And then it's really hard to find that connection when you're not actually using it and you haven't connected with, a, I don't know, a dance or a song or, or a person, like some something to really make the language come alive for you, right? Because what do they say? Languages that aren't spoken are called dead languages. So if you're not, Speaking it, and you're not using it. It's really not alive for you. So I think that that is an important part that you've got to step away from those apps at some point. Once you have that foundation, um, and it's usually earlier than you think it is. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times we're like, oh, as long I get the A1 level, and then I can start speaking. You know, no, you don't really need to wait for that. Do you know a few words? Use them, right? So I think that's part of the the thing that really helps you also move forward faster, even though it's uncomfortable. I think if we stay stuck in that mode of I'm just learning and I'm not doing, I'm not speaking, I'm not being, then we're never going to get to fluency.
1: So true. Yeah. And it's that, it's right. You, you're you hitting on that thing that I think we, a lot of people tell themselves, which is this almost, almost like thinking I'm not allowed to, right? I must get to the end of the Duolingo tree before <laughs> I am... I have permission to possibly say hola como estas and that is just not true it is just not true they're they're two completely different worlds you're making me it's it's weird you're really making me see the connection between you're making me feel like there's there's this there's something so physical about learning a language no there's something so physical about speaking a language and and really embodying that language i guess body right and it, it reminds me again of roller skating like i can't sit here and on the internet and read five articles about how to skate and then watch a few youtube's video and it's going to make me any good at skating right <laughs>
0: right right and i think too it's funny i, I think um you, know, you think about like personality i know a lot of people just kind of in language learning community, it comes up sometimes of, you know, do you feel like your personality changes when you speak different languages, mm. right? And I think it's it's a way of exploring different aspects of yourself, right? Because there's things that I say in Spanish or in Portuguese that, you know, are very different versus like a language like Arabic that I just started learning again that is... um it's just so it's so different that, that there's so there's things I just wouldn't express or I wouldn't know how to express or would express very differently in those different languages because of all those different cultural influences and because of sort of who I am. Right. So trying to make a joke in a language, too, is another thing of like, oh, you really realize like you, you're trying to like search for putting your personality into the language and not just kind of sounding like a, a textbook robot. Right. So, yeah, I think that you've got to sort of try those things out so that they can really become a part of you.
1: Mm, it's such a, it's such an individual way of viewing language learning. Or at this point, it is very much because, like you say, it's not the academic way, and it is not really a a testable way, right? You can't test how somebody, like I don't know, your salsa set tells me you've got sixty percent salsa in you <laughs> in your <laughs> Spanish or something. You know, we can't measure this, so it it gives me an idea. But something I wanted to ask you about to. Um, to to kind of conclude is is the the existence of spanish consulta as an online business like why did you choose to teach in the way that you do
0: well it's really because you know from from a perspective of authenticity like i mentioned i noticed that people were trying to learn spanish but they're struggling with this thing of like i don't want to speak or they didn't understand people and they would go, well, I don't understand. I've been learning Spanish. Why don't I understand my neighbor or, you know, for example, or why don't I understand people when I go out dancing and I'm trying to have a conversation? Everyone speaks so fast, like all of these, all these things people are struggling with. And I go, you know, what is it that I did? And I kind of deconstructed my own process and I, and I've started helping other people Uh, learn that way. So initially, you know, I had planned to just sort of do it more of an academic way. I got my language coaching certification. I said, okay, I I really like being a coach. I like helping people um, through conversation, um, which I still think is very important. But part of the connection I was missing with just that approach was, you know, I noticed I would be talking to my coaching clients and they would start saying, Oh yeah, I was listening to this daddy Yankee song or whatever. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, let's talk about that. (laughs) You know? And I like, yeah, that's how I learned too. So it just sort of became a natural thing that rolled into some of those conversations. And as people would ask me, well, what did you do? I just kind of mapped out, okay, well, here's what I did. Um, this worked for me. Like, well, how do you speak the way you speak? I don't know. I just, this is just what I did. I didn't go take a pronunciation course. I just, I've been listening to a lot of Mark Anthony, right? so, um, So I just kind of use that way because it's what worked for me. And because there are so many people who do love Latin culture and love the music, even though they may not be Latino. And Quiet is Kept, there's also a lot of Latinos who don't speak Spanish. And they have family, they have grandmas they can't talk to, they've got children that they want to speak the language. So they they're all looking for that connection to their own culture too in a very practical way, and they all grew up listening to the music, so it just was a natural fit, of you know something that I did that I knew worked, something that was you know people were just interested in, and it it just made sense. So I started uh, teaching that way, and eventually. I developed a course Spanish consalsa and also developed a membership for people who want more of that interaction, that more community aspect. So we have like, you know, weekly conversation practice and groups, to have one-on-one practice to really get people from just kind of singing along with the songs in the shower to actually speaking to real people. So that's kind of the next hurdle after you get comfortable with listening. Um, but yeah, I just I just found that it was it was something that worked and also for listening comprehension, it's really, really important. Because all this thing about Spanish is too fast, right? People say that about most languages, they learn, oh, these languages, native speakers talk too fast. So, like, but yeah, the problem as if it's because, a native speaker's fault, you know? <laughs> right. I, I say, no, they're talking at a normal speed. <laughs> like, you, you've got to really tune your ear to what they're saying. But the thing about music is that it's not this contrived sort of classroom dialogue thing. It's like, you're listening to native speakers speaking in their own voice about things that are important to them and they're doing it through music and if you learn that way not only can you connect with people and, and be singing along with the songs at the party with everyone else when you travel or when you're hanging out with your friends but you also kind of develop like this sort of um, natural ability to sort of hear the the rhythm of the language even though yes you know music isn't conversational in, in most most cases but you, you really get that rhythm and the flow of the language through the music. And because those melodies stick to your brain, like I always tell people, like everyone remembers the alphabet song, right? Like it's like your first linguistic activity. And it's also the first song you knew, right? So you remember that melody. You remember that even if you have to think of a letter, you might go, "Where? okay, what letter comes before P? Oh, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So you have to kind of run through that in your head, right? So music sticks to your memory 1000%. And a lot of language learning is forgetting things that you learned already. So you know, for your memory, for for your listening comprehension, for improving your accent, it just sort of has all of that naturally uh, combined in the music. And it's a three-minute song. You know, you're not trying to listen to a four-hour audiobook that you're going to get lost in the first 30 seconds because nobody has a long attention span these days. So instead of listening to the news in Spanish or listening to some dry content from a chorus or some contrived uh, information that was put online for language learners, listen to native speakers in their own thing, doing their own thing in their own language. And then you'll start to hear and understand how native speakers talk. Like amazing, right? (laughs) So if you actually just listen to native speakers, it's hard at first, but the more and more you get accustomed to it i always tell people you have to put in the reps right like just like if you're going to the gym you're trying to build a muscle uh you you can't do it just once Right? you can't oh, i'm going to go to the gym once a week right no you've got to go like almost every day at least three times a week right to make progress so it's the same thing with listening you've got to repeat 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 and songs are perfect for that. They're short, like three minutes long. The chorus repeats itself several times within the song. So you get these short bits of language that are repeated over and over again. It's like the perfect recipe for for your memory and for language learning. So I just found that it works really, really well, um, and that people often can't, tell you like, oh, I don't know why it works or how it works, but it's like this this magic voodoo. Right? <laughs> but it really isn't magic. It's just repetition. It's it's melody. It's rhythm. It's all those things that as humans, we naturally gravitate towards and that stick to our to our memory and also help us feel comfortable and relaxed in that state that we can really retain information. So that's how I started. And, you know, Spanish Con Salsa, the podcast uh, came out of sort of an extension of that business because I really found that, um, you know, podcasts always helped me with language learning. I love podcasts. I love podcasts in general. And it's something that I wanted to do for a long time. And one day it was actually through an accident I had (laughs) and I actually had broke my arm so I couldn't type. So I couldn't do my blog anymore for a couple months. Right. So (laughs) um, I said, oh, I have a microphone. I can talk. (laughs) Let me get a microphone. So I did a podcasting course and I like set it up and I set a launch date and I, I recorded some episodes and I got started. So that's how so through an unfortunate circumstance I was able to turn that around and to make it the Learn Spanish Salsa podcast. So
1: <laughs> I love that. Do you get some pushback from learners who come to you and they expect a clean-cut Spanish lesson? Or do you do you now just attract the people who already get it?
0: I think I've had like one person who said, Oh, this isn't for me. Maybe it's because I'm an older guy and I don't mm-hmm. connect with the music. But I, I think that happened like one time. I think that um in general yeah people are either appreciative because it's music they already kind of know but they didn't understand it or they go oh my god I never knew about this artist like this is really cool now this is one of my favorite songs so it's really like a way to add to your playlist as well <laughs> so that's why it's also why it works because they're listening in the car listening around the house so I'm helping them sort of build their playlist so it's actually um, yeah I, I, people usually are in a good mood when they're listening to music so I haven't had like people who didn't connect with it and, and quite frankly I do um, like I said I tie in you know, some of the grammar, I tie in sort of the more um, academic side, but I do that through the music. So for instance, I teach the simple future through Mark Anthony's song, Mi Vida, because it's just perfect for that. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and then I, I just kind of add on to it. And yeah, I do include grammar lessons. I include some like pronunciation exercises. I include listening exercises. So I do give people um, sort of a little bit of everything um, within that, but I, but I start always with the music.
1: Now, final question I have for you is if there was something that you could change in the world of language learning, what would you like to see change?
0: Wow, that's an interesting question. (laughs) Um, That's why it's last. (laughs) Yeah, because you're going to make me think about this. I have to come up with something profound (laughs) to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's in the world of language learning, I think there's a huge misconception that somehow language learning or being multilingual or being a polyglot is this thing that you have to achieve um, and it it sort of gives you some stripes under your belt. Like this whole notion of, um, I love that people are passionate about languages, but I think that it can make some people feel intimidated. I know for me, like the first polyglot event I went to, I felt so ashamed that I only spoke Spanish that I put, I literally put sarcasm on my badge, like, you know, cause you, you have the badge, you put all your flags or your languages you speak. So I put English, Spanish and sarcasm. I was like, Oh, now I have three languages. Right. <laughs> so like, it was like kind of my little joke of like, you know, I, I almost felt like, well, maybe I don't belong in this space, but I realized later that, you know, yes I do. And I think that uh, some of that can be off putting to people who may be struggling to learn their first language. So this idea of like, um, I don't know, like almost just kind of doing it for this this thing of of, of achievement. Yeah. Um. And I also think that there are people who are speaking multiple languages just as a fact of their lives and are not being um, identified or even recognized by a more academic type of language learning community. So I think about one of my favorite comedians, Trevor Noah, who's actually from South Africa, but he now has a show here in the U.S. called The Daily Show. It's kind of like a spoof, like a fake news show. So it's it's really funny. But he he did this book. Uh, he talked about sort of his upbringing with his mom, and in South Africa, you know, there's so many different languages. He said his mom speaks five languages. Mm-hmm. His mom, who is not this educated, she's not a professor, she's not she's not the super educated woman, but she spoke five languages because she lived in a place where. She wanted to be able to connect with people. So she speaks, I think it's like Hausa, which I'm not pronouncing correctly because I can't do the clicky thing, Um, Zulu, um, obviously English, and I can't remember other languages. Um, So I think it's interesting that you have people who just, as a fact of life, like people who are refugees or people who just live in in a culture where it's expected or just normal, that are not really recognized. I think some of those people should be highlighted because I think the way that they learn languages is so natural to them that they don't really think it's a big deal. Like like some people do who are very passionate about languages, learning. They're like, well, I had to speak these languages, right? So I think some of those people have some lessons that we could learn from because mm-hmm. they're not taking it so seriously and and they've but they've been very successful at it and they're often ignored so i think that's one of the things i'd like to see changed oh that's uh,
1: that's fascinating that's two very 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 good points thank you so much for thank you so much for sharing those and, and i agree on both of them here on The Fluent Show, I've got a set way for, to sign off, which is I say goodbye for me and then my guest gets to say goodbye in any language of their choosing. So before we do that, listeners, if you want to check out Tamara's, I'm just going to say it British, the Tamara's uh, wonderful offerings and you want to also bring a bit of Spanish in your life, the website is SpanishConsulta.com, is that right?
0: yep it's SpanishConSalsa.com and for the podcast you can just look for learn Spanish con salsa in whatever app you're listening to this podcast
1: awesome so give it a listen and now it's goodbye from me goodbye and goodbye from Tamara Marie
0: adios thank you
1: for listening to the fluent show if you enjoyed this episode please consider supporting the show by leaving a review in your podcast app Or even becoming a member of our Patreon community, where our supporter perks include a secret feed full of added show notes and a VIP option where you can get priority answers to your listener questions on the podcast. Don't forget that you can send us your language questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show or Instagram hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you and read every message and review. See you next week.